Let's pray. Lord, as we now open your word, we pray that you will speak through it, uh, that you will uh, pierce our hearts, that you will change us from within, and that we will not leave here the same because of the work that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Habakkuk chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles with me, uh, uh, with you, please join with me. Habakkuk chapter 1 from verse 1. And I'm going to include today the headings, which are not in the text, but they help us to understand where we are. So, uh, Because the, there is a dialogue that happens here between Habakkuk and God, but the writer doesn't actually include that, where, where the one person stops talking and the next one starts. So I'll include that. So the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, Habakkuk's first prayer, How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence, and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective, and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict uh, the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. And then God's answer. Look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm rising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress. They build siege ramps and capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Then Habakkuk prays again. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook. They catch them in their dragnet. They gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing nets. For by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter the nations without mercy? Then Habakkuk waits for God's response. I will stand at my guard post on the station and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch and wait and see what he will say to me and what I should, uh, and what I should reply about my complaint then god answers habakkuk the lord answered me write down this vision vision clearly inscribe it on the tablets for one may easily read it ah oh, so one may easily read it 
For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be too late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous will live by faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man and is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself and collects all the peoples for himself. Now this is a bit of a mysterious passage in some ways, this weird conversation between God and Habakkuk. And uh, it's important for us to wrestle with this because, you know, we've often heard the phrase, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And normally when we say this, we mean that something good has come about because God has orchestrated a seemingly random set of events that turned out surprisingly good for us. But not everything in life works out in mysterious ways. Not everything in life goes according to our plan. And the passage I've chosen today uh, has been chosen because it deals with what we do when, we don't, when things don't go our way, when the Lord doesn't want to work in mysterious ways in a way which we think will uh, benefit us. And in fact, not only does it deal with what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers our ways, it's when God answers the prayer in exactly the wrong way uh, as he does here for Habakkuk. What do we do when God does the unthinkable? He does exactly the opposite of the good thing we wanted him to do. And we're going to be looking at this through this book, not, um, uh, which is not a place most of us go for our devotional Bible reading, but it's in fact one of my favourite books of the Bible because it does deal with a very real situation that all of us face at some point in our life when God does something we don't understand and does the very thing we didn't want him to do. Now, before we get into that, we have to understand who Habakkuk was and whom he is writing to. What's his context? So Habakkuk was a prophet who was assigned to the southern kingdom of Judah. So this happens after the split of Israel. So Israel's the kingdom to the north, Judah's the kingdom to the south. And each of the kingdoms uh, God sends prophets to because they are his people and he wants their kings to you know, rule righteously and so on. And so Habakkuk was one of these that went to the southern kingdom. Now, um, Judah is at this stage all that is left. So Israel had already been conquered by the Assyrians. They'd been carried off. They're gone. That kingdom has been destroyed. And so the hopes of, uh, of, of Israel, the hopes of God's people, the hope for that person who would come or the, uh, to change the world, to fix the problem of sin, that entire promise of God, his covenant, is now in the hands of Judah, this southern kingdom. And so Judah is supposed to show the world how great God was, how wonderful it was to be uh, under, his, uh, you know, under his rule. Judah was supposed to show the world uh, you know, who God was, how to worship him and so on. But unfortunately in Judah it ends up being the same old story as it was in the northern kingdom of Israel. The people of Judah turn away from God, they start worshipping idols. And so in the end, God's patience with even the kingdom of Judah has run out. And he declares that Judah would be destroyed, that the people would be carried off into exile. And it's quite a number of years after that pronouncement is made uh, that, that actually the exile happens. And so we're in this in-between time. So after God has said Judah is going to be carried off, but before it actually happens. And of course... Um, 
Habakkuk is there living in a time where, where this kind of shadow is hanging over God's people, but God's people don't pay attention to the fact that God had said uh, Judah would be carried off into exile. And so Habakkuk is living in this time. Now, living in this time, being one of God's people, Habakkuk looks at a problem all of us have encountered, I think, at some point in our lives. And if you haven't encountered this problem yet, don't worry, just wait, it will happen. And the problem is this, Habakkuk looks around at all the mighty people, those in power, and he says, Lord, what are you doing? How long do I have to wait? Look at how unjust the rulers of Judah are. They use their power to benefit themselves. They look after their own. They're corrupt. They deny justice to the poor and the oppressed. They, you know, they help their buddies, but they don't help those who really need help. I mean, can there be a more modern and contemporary complaint that the prophet could make? Has this thing not happened since time immemorial where the powerful have used their power to remain in power? Where the powerless have been at the mercy of those that are the judges, the magistrates, the rulers, and invariably some of these people, if not all of these people, end up being corrupt. That's the problem Habakkuk sees and he cries out to God. He says, these are your people, this is Judah, this is not how it's supposed to be. And so Habakkuk writes this down, he questions God, he says, How long, O Lord, must I call to you for help and you will do nothing? How long must I look at violence and you will not save? Why do you force me to look on injustice? Why do you tolerate all this wrongdoing, this oppression and this violence that's right in front of me? Then he goes and says to God, this is why your Lord is ineffective. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Justice never emerges. That's verse 4. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. How long will you let it go on like this? How long will you make me look at the state of your people and not do anything? He confronts God, God and demands, why do you force me to keep on seeing this? Why aren't you doing anything? Did you not give us the law precisely so this would not happen, so that justice might actually happen? Are you actually ineffectual God is actually what Habakkuk in essence says here. He comes to God and he basically says, what are you going to do about it? He's disappointed at God's lack of action. And his disappointment stems from the fact that God does not answer his call for, to, for him to deal with injustice. And I think we can often feel the same way. Where we are disappointed with God because of his lack of action. Where we see this good thing that should happen and we can pray about it day in, day out, and it just doesn't happen. Or we see, you know, powerful leaders who use their place of power to benefit themselves, whether within the church or outside the church. And we ask God, aren't you going to act? Or we look more broadly in the world and we see that God's laws are violated in so many different places where families have been destroyed, where rulers use uh, their military might uh, to conquer people, where justice is withheld, and yet God does nothing. Or more personally, where our loved ones get sick or stay sick and get sicker, and we cry out to God each day in prayer, 
and yet healing is withheld and God seems to do nothing. How long, O Lord, will you force me to look at injustice? How long will you force me to face this sickness? How long will you force me to stare at the face of death and not answer? Aren't you going to act? Where is God in all of this? That's the question Habakkuk asks. And so what does God do? Well, in our passage, God actually replies. He, he answers Habakkuk from, uh, in his question. God responds in verse 5. He says, Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I'm going to do something in your day that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces and seizes the territories that are not their own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. So God breaks the silence and he speaks to Habakkuk and he, and he answers Habakkuk in the most surprising and astonishing way. God essentially says, you know, kind of hold my beer, I'm going to do something. And what I'm going to do is going to be so surprising to you, you're going to be astounded. I'm going to send the people to Israel to punish people, Israel to, to, uh, to bring them back to me. And the people I'm going to use are the Chaldeans. They are the Babylonians. That's the same, same word. They are a ruthless people, a rash people, an arrogant people, a people who pillage and steal, people who are terrifying and scary, who are only interested in their own glory, whose sense of right and wrong come from themselves and not from, uh, you know, my right and wrong, who has the strong army, who worship their strength, who cruelly and with violence oppress and conquer the world. These people seem like a great instrument. They're the ones, actually that I will use. That's what God says. These wicked and evil people who are far worse than the Judeans, far worse than Israel, are the people God is going to use to bring his people back to them. These people who do not care for justice and righteousness are those who are going to come back, uh, to, who are going to come to Judah to bring his people back to justice and righteousness. These people who exploit the poor and the, and the downtrodden are the ones that God is using to raise up the weak and the poor to deal with that issue. They are the God's instruments. And to Habakkuk and to us probably, this is utterly shocking. It's almost better for God to not have answered Habakkuk's question, Right? God is doing unthinkable thing here in Habakkuk's mind. Probably Habakkuk thinks it would have been better for God to remain silent than to answer with this. We have to think seriously, God, seriously, is this what you are going to do? This seems like the worst possible instrument you can use. And Habakkuk actually goes on and tells God this. He says, aren't you the God of the ages, the Holy One? Aren't you above using means like this? He says, God, you are from ever. You, you, you are the God who can't tolerate evil. You can't look at injustice. Are you seriously going to use these people to punish those that are more righteous? 
And then he uses this picture of, um, of the fish, you know. He says, uh, you've made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures who have no rulers. And the Chaldeans pull, pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet. A modern equivalent for us would be to say, we are like, you know, Judah would be like fish in a barrel. You come, they're going to come with their shotgun and shoot the fish in the barrel. That's how easy it'll be for them to crush us and capture us. And not only are they going to do this, they're actually going to celebrate their victory over us. Aren't you the God of justice? How can you do this? And yet, God in his sovereign will, in his righteous plan, has chosen these people as the implement with which to correct his people. Something that to us seems unfair, perhaps even seems ungodly, and yet God ordains it because He is sovereign over all. He raises up Babylon, He chose for them to become a strong nation, and in God's sovereign control, they are His implement. And in God's response to Habakkuk, in essence he says, I know what I am doing. You are to trust me. And I think that's the question or the instruction God gives us when he does the unthinkable in our lives. Will you trust me in this? Will you trust me in this? When God does the unthinkable, when he sends the Babylonians to fix those who are morally better, you know, he says to Habakkuk, will you trust me? And when he allows the cancer to spread in our bodies or our loved one dies, when the worst case scenario happens and our company has to close down or we lose our job, when we go through trials and difficulties and all of these things happen and God does what we dreaded the most, if he does that and we come face to face with that question, do we actually trust God? You see, God gave you some promises, didn't he? As a believer, as one of his children, he said, if you are my child, if you have faith, if you believe and trust in him, then nothing can snatch you from his hand. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we are faced with the situations in which God does the unthinkable, we are asked the question, do we actually believe that's true? When God does the unthinkable, do we actually trust that he is our shelter as we sang before? That whatever is happening right now is actually part of his sovereign plan. Because faith means letting go of those things that we cannot be in control of and trusting that he who is in control is in control, even in this time. You know, 
We see the same thing in the book of Job. Job was a righteous man. He was, he was so righteous that he even made offerings just in case one of his children might have sinned. And yet all of a sudden, all his wealth is taken from him. His family is destroyed. His body is racked. His health is gone. He's covered in sores. Everything is looking bleak to him. So much so that his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Surely that would be better. And yet Job trusts God and says, God is in control. Maybe our loved one is slowly wasting away and dying. The truth is God is still in control. Maybe our partner is losing their mind to dementia or Alzheimer's or some other mind disease and yet in that situation God is still in control. And maybe you cannot find a job no matter how hard you look and yet God is still in control. Maybe you're a businessman, you've always looked after your employees, but because of this economic climate, things are looking really bad and you probably will have to let them go or shut down the business. Even in this, God is still in control. Maybe even still you'd love to work and contribute, but because of your health or some other circumstance, you just can't help it. In that, God is in control. And maybe you have come into a place of depression where you cannot see the way out and yet, even in that, God is in control. And maybe your relationships in your life are not what they want to be and you pray to God every day and He doesn't seem to act. Even in that, God is still in control. The message, I think, that this first chapter of Habakkuk teaches us is that even though we cannot see how this could possibly be for our good, Habakkuk couldn't see how Babylon coming to invade Judah would be for the good of God's people. But even then God says, I'm in control, will you trust me? Will you trust me? But actually our passage gives us a little bit more than just you must trust. You know, that's kind of a, I think the Dutch used to call it slicken of sticken, right? So you either swallow this pill or you choke on it. Is that that's what it means? Yes, roughly? Um, this passage actually gives us a little bit more hope than that. While it is true that by faith we have to exercise our faith and trust that God is in control, I think our passage actually offers us a little bit more, something a little bit more hopeful. And we find that in chapter 2, which is why I included that from verse 2. So Habakkuk says, The Lord answered me, Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For this vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego, so that's, that's the Chaldean ego, his ego is inflated, he is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by faith. And so God responds to Habakkuk's second complaint by essentially telling him, don't worry about it, I've got this. And in fact, you can write this down so you can refer back to it in the future. Uh, but I'm going to fix the situation. But I'm going to do it in my own time. This is yet for an appointed time. 
Habakkuk had to learn a lesson here that we all need to learn at some point in time in our lives, sometimes with great difficulty. And the lesson that Habakkuk had to learn is that God's timing is not our timing. He had to learn patience. He had to learn that he could trust God in the meantime as he grows in patience waiting for God's time. And actually, Habakkuk most likely would have died before Israel was restored, before, before the people could leave uh, exile and go back to Jerusalem. God was actually going to do something about this problem, about Babylon. It was going to happen. God was, in fact, going to send his righteous wrath on Israel and Babylon, but he was going to do it in his time. And Habakkuk had to learn to trust God in the meantime. He had to learn how to live in the in-between time between God's promised solution and his current reality. God says to him, I know what I'm doing. I've got this under control. But in the meantime, this is how you are to live. The righteous one will live by faith. Now this is a particular phrase that means, you know, we keep on doing what is right. We keep on following God's commandments. We keep on kind of living our life for his glory, even when we cannot see God's bigger plan. So you just live by faith, you, you continue to look for justice, and lift up the poor and downtrodden, look after the sick and ill, obey my commandments, do all of those things that are uh, part of a faithful person living uh, under God's rule. You keep on doing those things and let me worry about the big things in life. That's what he tells Habakkuk to do. He says, the enemy might be puffed up, his ego is inflated, but you live by faith. Yes, the Israelite rulers, the Judean rulers, might be withholding justice, but you live by faith. And perhaps God says to us, yes, the sickness might be consuming your body, but in the meantime, you live by faith. Your addiction might be taking over your life, but I'm in control and you live by faith. You might be facing financial ruin, but you go on and live by faith. You do these things by faith because we know that God is not punishing us. The reason we can do this in a way that Habakkuk never could is because we know that God is not punishing us by our circumstances. You see, um, uh, all that Habakkuk had was this future, this un, um, sort of unworked out future that sometime in the future God would sort this out. But we know how God sort this, sorted this out, right? God said to Habakkuk, my solution is humming, let me worry about that. No matter how bad things are, you hold on to your faith, you live out in your faith, you live by faith. But we are not in Habakkuk's day. We live several thousand years later. We know what God's solution to the problem was. We know what we are putting our faith in. Habakkuk only had the hope that God would deliver, but we know that God actually sent a deliverer to deliver us from our sin. Therefore, nothing that we experience today comes to us by chance or through his punishment, but through his love. God sent Jesus to right all the bad things in this world, and so we can trust that whatever happens in our life is actually for our good. 
God, in fact, did bring justice to the world by pouring out His wrath on our injustice on His own Son, who willingly took it in our place. So that what happens to us now is not God's justice for our sin raining down on us. Jesus has come to bring healing and restoration and power to His people. And through Him and His Holy Spirit, we're actually enabled to live by faith no matter what happens in our life. All Habakkuk could do was to live a faithful life by obeying God's law. But friends, we have the privilege to live a faithful life because God has already saved us. And no matter how bleak things look, even if we are to die, we can live by faith knowing that our future is secure that God is in control and that he has saved even us. And that's the point. We can live by faith because God has pulled us out of our circumstance. He has given us a new reality that is, uh, that is not dependent on the things that happen around us. And he has fixed our hearts so that we will live forever with him. So that even when we die, we gain. That's why Paul says, you know, uh, um, my death is gain to me. If we are to die from sickness, from war, from persecution, that is a gift to us because we get to live with God then in a wholly new life. And so we can move from our brooding over our situation into living by faith wherever we find ourselves. God is attending to his business. So we need to attend to ours. Running the universe is not a task that is up to us. That burden belongs to God. But we do have a task to live by faith wherever he has put us. And when we trust in him, when we trust what he's done on the cross for us, we can actually truly do that knowing that he is in control. So let me pray. Lord, we, we thank you that we can know that no matter what happens to us, no matter our circumstances, no matter the difficulty or trial we go through, that none of these things are punishments because you've already meted out the punishment for our sin, that is death on Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. Our Lord, thank you that we can live by faith, knowing that the bad stuff that's happening to us is all part of your bigger plan, that you can use instruments evil, even as evil and wicked as the Babylonians to ancient Judah, even as difficult as our own struggles to bring about your, uh, the good you want in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you can hit a, a straight hit with a crooked stick. We pray that you will plant this truth deep in our hearts. Help us to reflect on this question about whether we actually trust you in the midst of our difficulties. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.